All right, so I want to start the sermon today with uh, a quote, a joke, and a story. Uh, so I want to provide a little kindling for our imaginations. Our, I want to start uh, lighting our imaginations on fire. So here's a joke, uh, a quote, and a story. Um, <clears throat> first, the quote. And this all has to do with the, uh, the, the subject of the sermon, so it's all worth it. All right, so first the quote. I'll take it slow. The confession of evil work, uh, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. I'll repeat that again. That's, that's kind of hard to get. The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. I got it. So uh, the first thing you can do, uh, the first good thing you can do is confess what you did bad. That was Augustine of Hippo. The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. I like that. Okay, now a joke. Um, <clears throat> there's three elderly friends and they're talking at McDonald's during their early morning ca uh, coffee gathering. Um, and they're discussing the travails of getting older. Uh, you, know, you know the ones I'm talking about, right? The uncles and aunties that meet up every morning at McDonald's or Starbucks, and they're talking story. And uh, one says, oh, you know what? Sometimes I catch myself with a jar of mayonnaise in my hand in front of the refrigerator, and I can't remember whether I need to put it away or make a sandwich. And the other one said, oh yeah, 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 I know, I know what you mean. You know, I'm often, I, he, he agreed and said he often paused, confused on the stairway landing, unsure if he was going up or going down. And the, the third person, uh, a recent a widower, uh, took a sip of coffee and he responded, um, well, I'm glad I don't have that problem, knock on wood. Oh, that must be the door. I'll get it. Uh, which reminds me of another story that sticks with me, that has stuck with me the first time I hear it. It's about Father Damien. It's close to home to us. Now he's Saint Damien. Um, Father Damien volunteered to serve the residents of Kalau Papa in, uh, in 1866, the Hawaii legislature passed a law requiring people with leprosy to live under a government-sanctioned medical quarantine on the island of Molokai, on the Kalaupapa Peninsula. And once Father Damien begun his work and met the people, he decided, I don't want to just volunteer, I want to stay. And uh, we know the story, eventually he contracted the disease and he died of it. Uh, his work for, included caring for the residents physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He dressed their ulcers. He gathered people within the community to help build houses and, and schools, roads, hospitals, a church, and a water system. And he made coffins. He dug graves. He shared, uh, and he ate poi from um, his hands with them. He was really connected with them. Um, now, in the midst of his vibrant ministry, he missed something 
he missed the practice of confession. So he was always begging for a pri- another priest to come uh, be with him. Uh, so he, and, and they would send a priest every once in a while. Uh, and, and apparently he looked forward to all of those times a priest would come because it was the only time he could confess. And in one story, uh, another priest didn't want to go off the boat because, uh, because of the, the people with leprosy. Uh, so Damien, uh, on the beach, and the priest is on the boat, and Damien shouts out, um, and the priest gives him absolution. Um, but they spoke in French, so uh, you know, nobody around could understand. Um, but that always struck me about Father Damien, that uh, there was something about confessing to another person that helped him accept it. Um, another person receiving your confession and speaking the words of Christ, you are forgiven, gives the embodied experience of relief. And I have to say, I know that feeling well. Um, I find that when I confess with, with friends who desire the best version of me and who can give grace, uh, anytime I do that, it's a changeful experience. And it's always a good reminder to hear the words, in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. Um, so let's uh, take a moment. Let's have some warm-up questions. Turn to your neighbors and uh, uh, answer these questions. Uh, what is it you need to forget? What is it you need to remember? And what would you like to be reminded of? Take a minute or two and, and talk about those things. All right, where are some answers? Well, what do you need to forget? What's one thing you need to forget? Insecurities. That's good. What else? What are some people saying that they want to forget? Past sin. That's a good one. Um, what do you need to remember? What are some things you need to remember? Anybody got something for me? Maybe you only got to the first question. What's it? You need to remember you're unique. That's very helpful. Yep. Oh, you need to remember the times that God came through for you. That's good. Cool. So we are in a sermon series called The God Who Speaks. Two weeks ago, Larissa preached the sermon, God Speaks to Me. Uh, this is important because as Jesus often proclaimed, the kingdom of God is at hand. We can participate in the kingdom of God here and now. And part of, being part of that is being able to hear God directly. God is personal in his interactions with us, and therefore we can hear him in a personal way. The God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not far from any one of us, for him, in him we live and move and have our being. God speaks to me. Last week, Ben preached, God speaks to us. In addition to God speaking to me individually, he speaks to me while I'm in groups. Uh, he speaks to me while I'm listening with other me's at the same time. He speaks to us. Groups of people can seek the voice of the Lord together. He 
This is important because God made the church to be a community of interpretation. We pray, we listen, we read, we seek each other's word together because we need each other's help to hear, interpret, and carry out God's word. This week's sermon's title is God Speaks to You. It's specifically about God speaking to you through another person. We're focusing more on the one-on-one interaction with a companion and how a companion can speak God's words, God's plans to you. And the big idea of today's sermon is when we hold each other up in prayer, we can deliver powerful words of God to our brothers and sisters. God speaks to us directly, yes, And when we receive the divine instructions, direction, comfort, and healing, he provides a companion to walk us through. God speaks to us in a group, yes. God is speaking to us today. We receive from God powerfully during these gatherings. And as God speaks on any given Sunday today, or at a retreat, at a conference, even in a dream or one-on-one time, it's a mountaintop experience. Life makes sense. Healing is possible. Deliverance happens. It's powerful to receive. And then some days pass. And then we realize that after we receive, the grind kicks in. We'll be confronted with the many minute and big stumbling blocks. We may begin to drift. The word that you received may get fuzzy. You may compromise, we may compromise our dedication. We will miss the mark. We will sin, which makes us feel unworthy. It's in these times, in the silent times, that we'll greatly benefit from a brother or sister in Christ. That's a phone call or a text or a breath away. Our brother or sister in Christ will be the one to deliver Jesus' encouragement. The Holy Spirit's refill, that's all we need when the tank goes from full to a quarter tank or hovers over empty. Or maybe your gaslight is already on. Or maybe you do have the resolution. You know you can do it. You know you can follow up and follow through with your calling in life. But it's still hard. It's still tough. These are the times in which you'll need a brother or sister to speak the words of Christ to you. After a specific heartbreaking conversation or after a setback, So let's listen to God on another's behalf and speak the words of Christ to each other. First, we'll look at some of my personal experiences of of hearing from another and speaking to another, Christ's words. Um, Then we'll look at the biblical experience. We'll read a story of God speaking to Paul through a prophet. And finally, we'll try and connect our church's experience with the biblical experience. So first... A little bit of my story. Um, I'll use my Ohana group as an example, and this one is fresh. Um, Every Ohana group meeting uh, we have, we we usually go through several different parts, several different movements through the evening. Uh, 
um, all of which can be opportunities for God to speak to me through another person. Uh, I can't predict when God will speak, but when he does, I'll know it's him. Um, some of our usual movements of the evening are we, we gather together and we talk story. Uh, we're usually catching up while we're eating dinner. Uh, then uh, we'll gather around in a circle and we'll share God stories from the week. Uh, then we'll worship and thank him for all the good things he's done. Uh, after that, we'll read a story from scripture. Next, we'll discuss and connect God's story to our personal stories, kind of like this sermon. And then we'll finish the formal part of the evening by praying for each other, usually through what we call the mush pot. And when the evening is over, I usually reflect on the moments in which I felt God was speaking to me. Uh, it may have been spoken through someone else's personal testimony, or maybe how someone articulates the truth in Scripture that I haven't considered before, or maybe through a direct prayer in the mush pot. It's in this reflection that I realize God is speaking all the time through another if I'm listening. A little bit about the mush pot. Um, it's a weekly institution that we do at our Ohana group. Uh, we put one person in the center of the circle, we take time to listen to God, and then we speak out a blessing of what we received for that person. And uh, I have to say that I always hear from God when I have the chance to be in the middle. Uh, so knowing that I would preach this Sunday, I actually asked my Ohana group to pray for me. Um, and here's an interesting picture somebody in my Ohana group got about my preaching. Uh, this person had a picture of me as a clown preaching. What? It's not godly. It's not edifying. I admit there's uh, not so many flattering connotations of clowns out there. Clowns freak some people out. Remember that movie, It? That clown freaked me out. Uh, or uh, if an organization is disorganized or mishandles something, it could be called a clown show. Uh, when I grew up, Homie D. Clown was popular. Uh, Homie was a disgruntled clown. Um, and when he would go to a kid's party, uh, kids would ask him stuff like, um, Homie, do a silly clown dance for us. Or, could you slip on a banana peel and fall on your butt? Or, uh, Homie, can you smash a pie in your face? Um, and that's when Homie would do his signature move. He'd take a, a sock filled with bundled up other socks, and he'd hit the kid on the head and say, boom, homie don't play that. I loved it, it was funny, but not a flattering uh, picture of a clown. Uh, though clowns would have been off-putting to some, the, uh, the image was significant to me. Uh, I immediately remembered touring a castle when I was in Germany. Uh, and we were in the throne room of the castle, and in there, there was a panel of wood with many uh, pictures carved in it, and the guide pointed out the fool, which is a version of the clown, which is apparently always depicted in the throne room. Why? Well, the guide said that the fool was important to the king. Yes, it provided entertainment to the court, 
Uh, it made the king a good host. Uh, the clown was funny, and funny makes time pass by faster. But beyond, but beyond this, funny makes truth easier to take in. Funny makes hard conversations easier to have. The fool could say things to the king that nobody else could. The king wouldn't cut off his head for speaking the truth. So both the king and courts realized the deeper meaning for a fool. In King Lear, one of my favorite plays, the fool was the only character that could criticize the king. He told it like it is, and he's also super loyal. Uh, there are other elements that I admire about clowns. They're incredibly skillful. They work hard at their craft. Uh, there is so much in the image of a clown that speaks to my personal calling. I hope that I could speak truth to power. I hope that I can speak with humor or in imagination, so that people will hear and understand life more easily. Clowns bring joy. I haven't seen too many grumpy attitudes inspire people to change. God was encouraging me, encouraging me in a way I could connect with and understand. And then uh, later on in the mush pot, another person prayed a similar prayer um, that I would speak the truth of the scriptures and not water it down. His prayer used different words and had a different tenor, but it connected to the first. The first prayer gave me an image of a clown that struck my imagination. The second moved my guts. It hit me deep. It stirred my calling to give up my life for the sake of something greater. Both encouraged me to hold fast to my identity and pursue God's calling on my life. My companions, all listening to God together on my behalf. What an honor that is, and it's a beautiful thing with people from different family backgrounds, with different family makeups, different cultural backgrounds, different vocations, different genders are all praying for you. This is the family of God, which brings wealth and perspective to our lives. It was like a band riffing, or or a hive of bees, bees each with a task. For the overall good, God is constantly speaking to us through another, through our companions. The question is, are we listening for God? Let's look at our story for today at how Paul heard God through a prophet. Join me in prayer. O Lord, may you make may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May you reveal truth about you to all of us here today. Let's read our story of the day. It comes from Acts.、Uh, the story will be up on the big screen and in your bulletin. You can follow on either one. So after we had torn ourselves away from then, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rose, and from there to Patera, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. Went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. 
We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed on at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. So to summarize the story, the, the first part reads like a bit of a travel documentary. Uh, Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, makes stops at certain cities for various reasons. It, it's the end of the line for a certain ship. In Patira, they find a boat heading the direction they're going. In Tyre, the boat stopped because it had to unload its cargo. It's like if you're on Oahu and you're headed to El Paso. Um, there's no direct flight, so probably you'll go to Dallas and once you get to Dallas, you have to find, uh, you know, is there a bus, is there a plane, is there a train going there? Paul is catching ships and figure, figuring out a way to get to his destination while he's on the go. And during the stops, Paul sought out disciples and stayed with them from anywhere from a day to two days to a full week. One notable stop is Tyre. Luke records that the disciples in Tyre, through the Spirit, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The second half of the story tells the story of Paul receiving a prophetic word and gesture from Agabus. Agabus tells Paul that he'll be captured and held in custody in Jerusalem. The gesture and the message sounds grim. Again, Paul is urged not to go to Jerusalem by those who hear the word. But undeterred, Paul is fortified by the word and continues to his destination. So for the sermon, God Speaks to You, I'm going to focus on the second half of the story. Okay, some things that speak to my head and make me go, hmm, when I read it. Um, the first is, uh, why does Paul want to go to Jerusalem so badly? Uh, the second is, why did the Holy Spirit tell Paul to go to Jerusalem 
but his companions urged Paul in the spirit not to go. Who's right? What's the spirit actually saying? Should he stay or should he go? When God's direction was spoken, everyone didn't seem convinced except for Paul and Agabus. There were several reasons for Paul not to go, which need uh, for Paul not to go, which needed to be addressed. And I'm sure the group wrestled with it. Let's look at a few of those obstacles. Um, first of all, all obstacles are not bad. I consider the first one a good one. Paul would have to overcome the possibility that he would never see his people again. And Paul didn't take his commitment to his people lightly. He saw himself as a spiritual father. Paul famously wrote, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Listen again to Paul's heart in the message translation. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you, and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Can you feel the heart of his, Paul's heart for his people? Paul admits it's hard for him to go on with their heartfelt pleas. Luke uses tender language to describe Paul's love for his people and vice versa. In verse 1, Paul and Luke had to be torn from the, from the elders of Ephesus. If you look at the very end of the previous chapter, it says the elders kissed and embraced Paul. And his stopover visits, they feel like family. Paul sought out disciples and stayed with them. And Paul's able to show up and the disciples take him in, staying anywhere from a day or a week. And his visits are literally a family affair. In verse 5, it says, Everyone, including wives and children, accompanied Paul to his ship. Picture that. And then they all knelt down on the beach together and prayed. The last verse of tender language is in verse 13 where Paul asks his companions, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Paul was loved and loving. Now let's look at the heart obstacles. Through Agbus's prophetic gesture, we see that Paul will be chained. Paul will be handed over by his own people, which will mean he'll have to deal with cork, procedures, arguments, not knowing if he'll get out, etc., so I'd like to summarize the good obstacles as the obstacles of success. Paul had done really well in cultivating communities who followed Christ. Paul had developed significant relationships with his people. They respected his role as a leader. And I'd like to summarize the bad obstacles as the obstacles of suffering. And yet despite the obstacles of success and the obstacles of suffering, Paul is able to move forward through Agbus's prophetic word. What was it about the word? Well, I propose that there are three reasons the word moved Paul forward. Uh, the first is the people in the room. The second is the, pro the process in which the word was delivered and accepted. And the third was the deeper meaning of the word to Paul.
First, let's look at the people. The people in the room that surrounded Paul live lives of service dedicated to Jesus and their fellow man, woman, brother, or sister. Let's start with the first person in the room. Uh, you might miss him at first glance. It's Luke. That's cool. Celebrity writer. Uh, Luke was a traveling co-worker with Paul. Um, and that's why the term we is used throughout this scripture. Uh, Luke uh, is actually writing this part from first-hand experience. Um, the next person we'll look at is Philip. So, um, Paul receives the prophetic word while being hosted by Philip. And who's Philip? Uh, well, you'll hear about more about him during Steve's sermon next week. But for the purposes of our story today, I'll give a brief introduction. Uh, he's known as one of the seven. Uh, he, along with seven other men, were selected by the leaders of the early church to care for the practical needs of the church um, so that the apostles could dedicate themselves to prayer and preaching. Philip would do stuff like make sure the widows and orphans weren't overlooked during feeding time. Uh, he was chosen because he was not only wise and skillful, good at logistics, but also because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Basically, he was an extraordinary man. He was practical and supernatural. Interesting um, aspect of Philip in this part of the story is that he ended up in Caesarea because Christians were persecuting him in Jerusalem. Uh, another one of the seven was a guy named Stephen. Um, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And uh, if you go back and read Stephen's story, you'll see uh, a little verse there that says that Paul approved of, of Stephen's killing. So if you trace it back, Paul was ultimately the reason Philip was in Caesarea. Imagine how Paul would have felt staying with, with Philip. Paul persecuted Philip in Jerusalem, and now it's Paul that's heading back to Jerusalem, and he will face persecution for preaching Jesus. Next characters are Philip's daughters. Uh, he has four of them, and all of them prophesied. How cool is that? Very cool. Um, let's look at Philip and his daughter's house guest, Paul. We know a bit about him. Uh, I would say that Paul's calling was to make Jesus' family accessible to everyone. And that was radical at the time. Uh, at this point of the story, Paul completed the long journeys, extending Jesus' family. He created movements, he planted churches, and he led those churches in person and through correspondence. And after all that, he gets this word from the Holy Spirit, you need to return to Jerusalem. Now let's look at the pivotal character, Agbis. He's the guy who delivers the word from the Holy Spirit. Here's some background on him from earlier in the book of Acts. Some prophets came, from Ant came to Antioch from Jerusalem. One of them, named Agbus one day, stood up and prompted by the Spirit, warned that a severe famine was about to devastate the country. The famine eventually came during the rule of Claudius. So Agbus has clout. 
He's prophesied that a famine would come to one of the biggest and influ most influential churches at the time. And the fact that this big church gave Agbis room to prophesy shows that he already had authority and clout. And it turns out the prophecy was accurate. So Paul is in supernatural company. Luke, the historian documenting Jesus' life, Jesus' miracles, the apostles' miracles. Philip, a supernatural, justice-oriented evangelist. Philip's four daughters, all prophets. Uh, notable that they do not give a prophecy to Paul during this time. These folks were certainly flowing in the Spirit. And this is good company in which to hear from God. Now let's look at the process of how, how Paul was able to receive the, the word. First, Paul confirms it. Um, Agbus's word actually confirms Paul's personal prayer time. Paul knew suffering and hardship would be waiting for him in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him about it several times. Uh, let's cut back a few scenes for a helpful backstory. In the previous chapter, Paul announces uh, at one of his stopovers, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. The first step in the process is that Agbus's word confirmed what Paul heard from God for himself. Second, the prophet Agbus leaves room for error. Uh, though Agbus uses strong language, the Holy Spirit says, I think he's humble about it. I see the humility because there was a discussion that followed, there was a wrestling. And I hope uh, we at Blue Water can do the same thing. A third thing is that um, the prophet leaves space. Everybody discerns the word together. Everybody got to express their thoughts. And I think that's a sign of a healthy environment. So one of my main questions is somehow answered in this part of the process. Were the people's urges in the spirit opposed to the Holy Spirit's word? I'll be honest, um, it doesn't seem totally clear from my reading. Um, I've read the commentaries, and uh, somehow Paul knows it's a voice from God. Um, and the fact that it's not totally clear actually endears me more to the Bible because it's reflecting what life is like for me. Let me suggest that through the discernment process, though, that they concluded that Paul was, in fact, supposed to go to Jerusalem, and perhaps they realized that they interpreted Agbus's word according to their own lights. Uh, the last step in the process is that everybody uh, is unified. Uh, the listening ends, they talk it out, and they all agree the Lord's will be done. And finally, let's... Uh, so we see that Paul's, Paul's able to move forward through the people in the room, through uh, the process in which he receives the word, and uh, finally, there was a deeper meaning to the word, which only Paul knew. So let's look at the deeper meaning of the word. First, imagine Paul having his belt removed from around his waist. Now, 
Paul's belt was probably not like this. It was probably like he probably wore, you know, something long and his belt probably wrapped around and maybe flowed down to his knee. So uh, Agnes was able to take it off um, and tie his own hand and feet with it. And the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Rome will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Paul's belt becomes the chains that await him. But what images did Paul, but somehow the chains are not a threat to Paul. What images did Paul associate with the belt? What was the deeper meaning of the belt and the chains to him? I'm not sure, um, but maybe Paul's own writing can give us a clue. Listen to this. Uh, In encouraging the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet girded with, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. The belt of truth helped Paul be true to his calling. How about the chains? Well, the chains for Paul represent an opportunity. Uh, Listen to Paul writing about chains. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel, the good news. It has become clear that I am in chains for Christ, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's sight is set on Jesus. Paul becomes more determined rather than deflated. Paul is living in the big picture and knows the big picture. Suffering has a deeper meaning to Paul. So how does this apply to us today? Let's uh, connect our church, where we are today, to God's Word. And I would say this, every one of us, like Paul, has a big calling. And we received it from Jesus. Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not to be kept a secret. I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand. Shine! Keep open house! Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God. In the midst of our journey, our calling, life hits. Our world gets turned upside down by tragedy, by sickness, by sin. Paul had good and bad obstacles will have good and bad obstacles to our calling. And in the midst of these obstacles, we'll remember our calling. We'll find ourselves in the need of God's voice. 
but our willpower has run down. We'll soon realize that it's too hard for us to do it on our our own. We'll soon realize that we've forgotten our calling. We realize that we weren't actually designed to do it on our own. And in fact, we can't do it on our own. It's in these times that we need guidance and we will receive direction and encouragement through one another. How can we do that for each other? Well, we can pray for and receive prayers from another. So, let's get good at recognizing the voice of God for ourselves. And how do we do that? Well, Larissa talked a bit about it. Um, Go back in your notes and look over there. Look look over those notes. They're great. Um, I will propose a different theory or a complementary one, I would say. This is called the vice, not vice concept that I sometimes use. So when I was growing up, Miami Vice was a popular cop show. Um, I, I can't say I remember any of the plots or any of the character twists, but what I do remember is its style. Detective, the detectives had cool clothes, they uh, had cool hair, they had cool cars, and a big part of the show was the aesthetic. It was defining. And I don't know if it's true, but apparently there was one designer on set, and this designer was the vice, not vice person. Uh, And this designer would go through every article of clothing, every prop, every color, and his whole, his one job, his one job was to say, vice, not vice, vice, not vice, mullet, vice, side part, not vice, pastels, vice, Pleats and Cavaricis, vice. Uh, it's a silly con- comparison, but I think if we, get con- uh, if we get familiar with the voice of God for ourselves, we can pretty quickly determine if there's a voice that's not from God. Um, so here's some practical steps to getting good at recognizing the go- uh, voice of God for yourself. One, have a daily routine with God's word. Two, pray. Three, live the life. Uh, For the first point, read, or now we can listen to the Bible uh, regularly. Uh, The Bible is the most accurate source of God's word given to the world. Second, pray, talk to God. Uh, Third, practice what you preach. The evidence of God in your life will teach you what was from him and what wasn't. Uh, So let's say you have some... Uh, we received the voice of the God, uh, and we want to give the voice of God. So here's some guidelines for praying for others. Uh, the first is try. That's our church so- slogan. Uh, try. Listen to God on behalf of someone else. And pray for your brother when they ask for it. Um, and don't just say you'll do it. Do it. And a good way to make sure you do it is to do it on the spot. Uh, two, be humble. Uh, at Blue Water, we don't ascribe to the almighty prophet who issues dictates from God. Uh, Three, ground yourself in Jesus. Uh, Jesus was always able to speak life-changing words to his people, but he was in an 
he had an otherworldly perspective. How do we become the people who can speak the words of God to one another? Well, we have to live the life our Lord and Savior Jesus did. The truth is, we can't give to others what we don't have. Anytime we want to give a word from God, we've got to ground ourselves in God's word. Uh, this is some stuff that Jesus recommended for us to do. Love our en enemies. Uh, be servant of all. Consider others better than you. Don't judge. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When it comes down to it, and if we're honest with ourselves, accomplishing these teachings with completely pure hearts is very, very difficult to achieve. And by some standards, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This prayer is helpful. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, try that uh, when you want to give, uh, before you give a word to somebody else. And if we do these things, if we try, we're humble and we ground ourselves in Jesus, Jesus will empower us to become people of God for one another. In conclusion, Paul had a different view of life and death. As he headed toward Jerusalem, he must have been reflecting on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem meant trial and eventually death for Jesus. Jerusalem held trial and suffering for Paul because Paul proclaims that Jesus has power over death. The good news for Paul and us is this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. My friends, our calling is to proclaim this in words and deeds. Our calling is an epic calling. And there will be many obstacles that will get in the way. Let's speak the words of Christ to each other because the Christ in you is stronger than the Christ in me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we give thanks for what you've given to us. Not only your words, but your life. We thank you for the calling that you have asked us to join in. Uh, that we may lay our lives down for our friends. 
so that our friends may have life. Uh, and life with you is so good. I thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name.